welcome to Your Creative Chord Podcast. I'm your host, Jenny Lee Hodgins. Today's podcast is a special episode made for the London-based radio show, Resonance FM International Women's Day 2020. Today features excerpts from my interviews with female creators. Please see the show notes for links to find out more about these inspiring women and their creativity. If you'd like to explore creativity, hear about other creators, or get more inspiring stories to empower you, Your Creative Chord podcast is the place to be. Please join me at yourcreativechord.com forward slash get inspired here. British female composer Kezia Tomset. Thompson had just finished her B.A. music degree at the University of Leeds when we connected. Her dissertation addressed the question, why aren't there many women film composers? For that, she interviewed eight professional women in the film industry. Through the process, she was welcomed into the London-based Women Composers Forum, and she's already made connections with wonderful mentors within that organization. Let's jump back into our conversation with composer Kezia Thompson. I never really thought of it as an issue. I didn't really clock that it was an issue until I started working in the industry, going to events and not seeing women um, working there or just being represented. And then to come into a room where there are just loads of women uh, who all are amazing composers, it's just really special. Yeah. What is the specific topic of your dissertation? Let's ask that first. Yeah. So it's the title was um, I'm just a female composer, um, and it's looking specifically at women writing to film and uh, looking at reasons why there aren't that many women and just the attitudes towards and, and from women in the industry right now. On the topic of the numbers of women composers, you shared with me that you think it's ingrained in society that women are not composers. I think it's, this is your quote, I think it's due to education and the opportunities we offer children before university. I think it's also due to the increased reliance on technology in the industry. And many Mm. studies show that young women have less opportunities to learn to use technology, end quote. Mm. What do you think are the things that can be done to increase opportunities and the mindset for more women composers? It's got to start with, even I think down to the toys that children play with, like not just assuming that, oh, gaming's for boys, like the more tech-focused stuff for boys and the more dull stuff for girls, like just being really open to what kids want to explore and play with. Um, You know, just for example, when my younger sister was in hospital a couple of years ago, she's fine. But um, Thank you. Good, good. She's around to ask what toys they want to play with. She asked the boy next to her, oh, you can, do you want to play with puzzles, uh, cars? And then she comes to my sister and the question is, do you want some drawing or some dolls? Like mm-hmm. Very specifically gender-based. Gender yeah. yeah. So I think it's even just down to that kind of gendering, going into the school curriculum, the... I don't know about America, but in the UK, the majority of the composers on the curriculum are male. Mm-hmm. And that's it's, it's already same here. Yeah. Yeah. It's ingraining it from the very beginning. Like you just don't, some may not realize it, but it does create an image of what a composer looks like in a child's mind. And then I think it goes into further education as well, you know, and just in terms of courses and um, like encouraging younger girls as well to pursue um more tech-based courses or um because a lot of music now relies on technology with um, 
software like Logic and Cubase and all that. Right. I think that is part of it. Um, just from the interviews that um, I had, and um, and yeah, just creating communities like the Alliance for Women Composers, the Women Composers Forum. I think that's really important and just encouraging confidence because as women, I feel like often we can be a lot less confident, which is another theme that came up a lot in my dissertation and a lot more apologetic in our demeanour, um, which is just something that uh, the women I interviewed said. Um, it's universal. But, yeah. It's definitely. Yeah. yeah. Even in terms of using the word just in a lot of sentences, like, oh, I'm just a, a composer or mm, I'm just doing this, you know? yeah. yeah, I think there's a lot of that. And I think that needs to be cut out. <laughs> Me too. Here, here. You have yeah. my full support. Cut that out. <laughs> yeah. What other things do you think we as individuals can do mm. to change that mindset? Did you get to any, I mean, did you talk about any of this kind of thing with the women that you interviewed? Yeah, we did talk about it. And a lot of the response was um, just to talk more about it. To, hey, we're doing it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, to, I think we're at, we're at a really good place at the moment, actually, in that it's with the Me Too movement and with yes. all these uh, groups now popping up, we are talking a lot more about it and it is becoming something that's not viewed um, as awkward to talk about, like it's becoming a recognised issue. And I think we can talk about it until the cows come home, but like we have also got to act on that and it's just figuring out what the next steps are after highlighting the issue um, then to make it the norm. Like, do we, it's that kind of whole weighing, weighing up. One of the questions I asked was, how much do you think that being a women composer or a female composer is becoming a selling point? Um, and it's weighing up how much do we need to overrepresent women and how much do we need to just um, shout about this issue but make it so it becomes a norm. Like, how do we get to that point? You know what I mean? Yes. You know, the moral of this story is at least we are voicing it. At least it's yeah. being talked about and we're shaking things up. It's very clear, at least in America, that things are kind of split 50-50. So we're in a good place, as you said, with the Me Too movement, and it's kind of an aggressive topic, I think, at least as an American, with what's going on in my country, you know, but it's not just about women composers, it's about women universally, you know. Mm. who we are and, and what our opportunities are and how how we can not level the playing field, but how can women pursue creative fields or any kind of field confidently without feeling like they're going against the grain? You know, mm. does this resonate at all with some of the conversations that you had with these women about? Yeah. You know, yeah. Did they mention anything about how they have been um, held back or felt yeah. kind of the door not opening for them? Yeah. One of the main things um, that was kind of recurring, actually, in almost all eight of my interviewees was uh, having felt patronized at some point or um, just put down for being a woman. Um, one of the women I interviewed said it, she went through a blind pitching process and she turned up to visit this director and they took 
a good few minutes to recover once they saw that she was a woman um wow. sat down with her um asked her if she'd seen a cue sheet before and everything like all this kind of stuff there's all this ingrained right um thinking um that we just have to combat but and I think the way to deal with that is just to talk about it openly because when we acknowledge that it's there then hopefully then we'll see there's a need for change so there's that feeling of apologeticness having to kind of feel that as a woman we're intruding on um men's territory you know a lot of the women I interviewed said that um the studio was seen as a man's arena there was a lot of even lang- the language that was used was very much um someone described it as a male bastion having to fight for a place in the studio um so it's combating ideas like that actually saying um that yeah I'm a woman but that doesn't mean I can't you know sit in a studio and twiddle some dials and all that you know right. like our gender shouldn't come into it at all and yet it, it really does, even in terms of personality and confidence and adapting our behavior when we're around men or women. Like, right. it comes into it, and it shouldn't. Composer Tracy Callahan. Tracy Callahan and I met each other as co-admins of a Facebook group called Women's Composers Collective. As I have a love for composing and listening to musical theater songs and studied voice and piano in my college days, I was excited to find that Tracy is also a composer and actress-singer of musical theater works. Learning about her musical journey, I found we have more in common. I spent many years performing as a vocalist pianist from Kentucky to Florida to Japan, while Tracy spent her college days performing as a busker on the streets of Portland, in local bars and coffee shops, and as a member of the Maine Songwriters Association. But in addition to Tracy's original musical called Better Than Fine, currently in rehearsal, her musical background has forayed beyond musical theater into creating video game scores and sound design. She now balances composing her original game music, sound design, effects, and musical theater works while performing as an actress-singer in local and regional theater productions. She approaches music composing through pairing stories and music, whether it be folk songs, musical theater, or video game audio. Through our chat, I found we have a lot more in common, so let's dive in to explore all that and more. What do you think your strengths are as a creator? Of the questions that I was thinking about before today, probably the hardest one to answer, because you're inside of your own creating, so you don't necessarily know (laughs) Right. It kind of boils down to emotional honesty. Mm. There's nothing that I have written for any venue, whether it's games or musicals or as a songwriter, that wasn't honest. Whether it's just uh, a mood setting or uh, lyrics or anything. Sometimes it's honesty covered in a whole bunch of glitter so (laughs) that you might not necessarily know what's actually there but it's there. Right. The whole point of doing this in any way that is outside of my own room is to communicate emotion and also to foster the communication of emotion. Like helping people feel and feel visibly or mm-hmm. audibly and communicate that to each other. Mm-hmm. That resonates with me because I feel that the For me, the real purpose of being an artist is exactly that, is 
expressing emotion or your thoughts and helping others to do so because some people can't, you know, unless they're seeing your show or listening to your music or watching dance or seeing a piece of art. A lot of people don't know how to tap that. And fortunately, artists are in that zone. We're, we're deeply, you know, connected to that thing. In most aspects of my life, I will go, I really need to cry and I've needed to cry for six months and I haven't been able to do it. I'm going to go read little women. That'll do it. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, the tool to use. And I like what you said. The whole point of getting this meaning creativity out there is to foster the communication of emotion. That's going to be my new bumper sticker. Pick a song from your musical and take us through a little minute or two minute snapshot scenario of how you approached that lyric, storyline, musical idea to create that song? Robot Wolves was written on my bicycle. <laughs> um, <laughs> it is one of the rare ones where most of the lyrics actually also got written on the bicycle. I'm on the way home from work. The sun is bright in the sky. And I know I want to write a song about uh, Cora and how her boyfriend has not called her back. Huh. And there's always some kind of a seed some kind of phrase or a musical catch or something that I'm like, okay, that can be a song. So this one was, uh, he hasn't called yet, whatever. Okay. And it's the opening line to the song, but it also has a very distinct rhythm. So he hasn't called yet, whatever. And you say it kind of in a very specific rhythmical way. So I'm, I'm on the bicycle going, he hasn't called yet, whatever. He hasn't called yet, whatever, whatever whatever <laughs> over and over again until I get happy with it. So by the time I got home, I think I had the first verse Threw that into notation software. The next day on the way home was like, okay, verse two, let's go. <laughs> um, <laughs> of course, I think four or five days of riding home from work, this song. So that all goes into the, the notation software. When I come back to it later, the, the melody is still very strong in my head and I have a recording of it and I go, okay, I, I know the instruments that the show has. Let's put a beat behind this. Let's give it some rhythm. Let's give it some drums. Let's, okay, let's decide on the chords and the bass line. It, it, so it, it's one instrumental part at a time fills in the gaps song and then song done. Basically, you come up with your your main melodic idea, you solidify the lyrics, you go and notate it so you don't forget it, and then you go back in and flesh it out and add the instrumentation, well, first the chords and then and then all of that. And then the instruments, yeah. I find a lot of instrumental music in white noise. If I'm listening to a fan or a washing machine, the hum of my computer, sometimes I'll start to hear like the overtones or something mm-hmm. and something in that noise kind of gets in me. I woke up one morning and the washing machine was going and I, somebody had sneakers in the washing machine and I was listening to like this very repetitive thumping that mm-hmm. sort of the rhythm as I'm waking up, the rhythm is, is very kind of catchy. It was like, it's like, Oh, okay. Well, that's going to be the string ostinato underneath whatever sketch I do today. <laughs> You were just describing how white noise of everyday sounds like washing machines and computer noise, the overtones, sometimes the rhythm of things sparked the ideas. But was that purely for instrumental music or it just sparked an idea that you used in songs as well? 
the instrumental music versus vocal music is, gotcha. is a very different process. Vocal music is almost always inspired by uh, the rhythm of words. Okay. And instrumental music is usually from some weird something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like Beethoven yeah. walking in the out in nature and coming up with a pastoral symphony just by the you know listening to the sound. Interesting too, because I, I don't know if you've kept up on all my blog and uh, a recent podcast. I talked to a guy who teaches creative thinking locally at the University of Kentucky. His name is Ryan Hargrove, and if you haven't heard that or read that, I recommend go look at it. But for everybody listening, he takes his students to visit a lot of creative professionals. And one of the things that he really kind of summarized for me is that really successfully creative people, they are constantly looking for new ideas and new ways to spark the idea or the, the process of creativity. And he also said that they put themselves in place as a discipline to be there ready for the muse to hit them. We all have our own rhythm and things, but I, I, the thing that I really got a lot out of from what he was saying was that, and it's what you just did, what you just exemplified, is that as a creator, if you put yourself in a place to be ready for creative ideas to come, the muse to come, and you do that on your bike, you do that by listening to white noise or whatever, then if, you, if you're putting yourself in that place and allowing yourself to be open to that creativity it will catch you more frequently. And even though you, this is switching back to what you were saying, even though you may write a lot of musical ideas and you may feel at the moment that, ah, that's not a good one. I'm going to throw that away. You mm -hmm. hang on to that because like he was saying also that when you create this bank of experiences and this bank of ideas that, you know, that have you've generated through those inspiring moments of catching that muse, mm -hmm. having that kind of library of creative snippets in your whatever, in your notation software or in your mm -hmm. file or in your brain locked away, that allows you a, a much better opportunity to expand and embrace and become even more creative as you continue. So I find that interesting that you are very in sync as a creative person with the ideas of, you know, what is being taught, mm -hmm. you know, creative thinking and the whole process that's being taught in a university classroom for people to learn how to become more creative as part of that whole curriculum which speaks to what your process already is. So you're one of those people. <laughs> Do you have resources other than the gear that you've mentioned that you regularly use as a creator? Writing a lot and reading a lot. What kind of things do you read? I read a lot of fantasy novels, like okay. uh, Tolkien and, and that genre. Yeah. I read a lot of books about the way people think. Okay. Not necessarily like psychology textbooks, because I think that that would go right over my head, yeah. but a lot of personal development yeah. and a lot of stories that are kind of also, they fit in that same genre. I read a lot of books about runners, of training philosophies and things like that. Right. Weirdly enough, I find that it correlates very well to creating I agree with that. I read a lot of personal development myself, and I write a lot of that. And I read mm -hmm. and listen to... I read a, a lot of your personal development. <laughs> Shout out to me, yourcreativecord.com. But also, I'm listening to a lot of podcasts from you know, on success mindset and entrepreneurial spirit, because I find a lot of entrepreneurs think very much like creative people and vice versa. Are there things that you can do or experiences or people or a spiritual thing? Or are there other things that influence your creativity positively that you try to regularly incorporate? Now I'm going to give you an answer that sounds like it's not going to be positive, but it is. <laughs> My 20s were hell. I 
was in a very bad place. I was uh, self-admitted several times for depression, hospitalization, suicide kind of stuff. I'm very open about that. There were like several years of very, very, very bad in here. Mm -hmm. Lots of mental health struggles, lots of life situation struggle kind of stuff. When I came out of that, and mental health is one of those things, some of those struggles never leave you. Right. But when I was better enough to start focusing on my life and the future and what I wanted to do in the world, which became a very big thing. It was, well, okay, I'm still here. Okay. Now what? I get very uh, soapboxy and spiritual about joy and sorrow mixed together. A lot of what I write tends to be some sort of oddly balanced mix of the world is ending and I'm fine because it became very important to me to put that feeling out there in the world. Mm. This kind of like uh, a lot of creative people have mental Mm -hmm. health struggles Mm -hmm. and a lot of my friends have had mental health struggles. And sometimes you need to feel the sadness and hear the hope at the same time. Right. It's a weird sounding positive influence, but it is because it gave me a reason to do what I'm doing. And oddly enough, the, the games that I'm working on, I can tie them all in there, even though they're things like a haunted school. <laughs> well, yeah, because it's coming from your life. It's coming from your experience. Right. Yeah. It's a very personal experience to put forth this this combination of feelings that I hold to be very, very important. Because of that, whenever I'm able to do that it feels really good and it also it reinforces itself because Mm -hmm. that that kind of feeling you know we all go through awful things sometimes and if you can kind of allow that awfulness to feel awful Mm -hmm. but still be able to see that there's a tomorrow then you can go okay so eventually i'll be in something else something else will happen it kind of propels you forward. It doesn't sound positive in that it's not like, you know, happy exactly, but it's like having a superpower. I don't know if you know, I practice Buddhism and it really resonates with the whole idea that you use your suffering to create value. And it kind of goes in hand with your new musical coming out. The whole point is everything is okay. It's all okay. The idea that you're able to dive deeply into the darkness. It's the most universal human experience we have is all these deep emotions. And Mm -hmm. you're being brave enough to like really dive in there and voice, give voice to that, that darkness and that it's not fun to suffer the (laughs) darkness of your mental depression and all that. And a lot of artists, I mean, I just speak for myself and the artists that I know and that I've spoken to, we already tap into such a depth of emotional swings and like you said a lot of artists are prone to mental illness issues but to be able to use that suffering and still allow yourself to feel it without losing sight of the fact that there's a tomorrow there's also just as much joy in life as there is suffering in buddhism suffering and joy are literally two sides of the same coin and you Mm. cannot really truly feel joy if you haven't deeply suffered because you won't recognize it as true joy without this 
experience of going deep into, you know, the darkness of life. And that sounds like what you're doing. You're putting all of that in one form, which comes out through your creative expression. Mm. And it's wonderful. It's brave. I like the honesty of it because so many people don't feel that they can express what they're really feeling. But then when they hear that music or that see that piece of art or read that piece of writing or poetry or whatever, Mm. it taps it for them. My question was, what influenced your creativity positively? And suffering does influence your creativity positively. You have turned it into something positive. You've turned it into creativity. You're not just taking your suffering and creating. You're actually creating art that expresses that suffering and the joy and hope at the same time. That's a typical output for you? Yeah, that's pretty much always the underlying goal is to have them both present at the same time because I had heard that before about the two sides of the same coin. And Mm -hmm. I find it to be very true. And if you're holding a coin, you might only see one face, but you're touching the other one. Good point. What hinders your creative flow? Time. (laughs) I have several jobs. I work a lot. I often only have an hour or two a day to myself. Sometimes uh, I get, I turn into a squirrel. I really want to sit down and write a piece of music. And I happen to have three hours to sit down and write some music and see what happens. But I also, ooh, I haven't worked on my class in a while. Oh, and I should really listen to this show that somebody was telling me about. And this podcast. And this. There's so much to do and it's all coming at you all at the same time. Mm. It, uh, the hardest thing for me to do is create empty space in which to work. Mm-hmm. And I'm able to do it more often than I used to, which is good, because that way things happen. It requires a lot more effort than the actual act of writing. Mm -hmm. I have an article, Why You Should Embrace Failure and Do Only One Thing. Yes. I have a freebie giveaway. It's called The Top 10 Things to Help You Reach Your Biggest Goals. And I have another freebie on my website called How to Prioritize for Best Results. My wavelength and the way that I work is very similar to what you're saying in the sense that I am going in 14 million different directions all the time. My mind is and my creative output is as yours is. And so I'm really understanding the importance of training my mind to focus on one thing. And even though there's always going to be those million things that are pulling us in all those different directions, I'm learning the art of choosing. I choose to be here. I choose to be here right now. I choose to look at this one thing and nothing else. And I'm finding that when I'm doing that, that helps my creative flow. Go back and read my blogs, girl. I have (laughs) You're a true fan. I love that. But I think it's, even though I've written it and I've got several things on that topic, I have to practice it so much because my mind is much like yours and my creative outbursts are much like yours. And like you, I have a million things on my plate all at once. And everybody does. I can really relate to the squirrel, and I bet a lot of creative people can relate to the idea that you said of how hard it is to create the empty space to work. And I used to be kind of, I have to get the clutter out of the way before I can do something. Mm -hmm. And now I'm understanding, you don't have to work on the clutter, just don't look at it and focus on this one thing. The funny thing is that we, we kind of came to the same place, but from opposite ways, in that I actually one of the things I do to create the space is I give myself 10 minutes. Okay, yeah. I literally just clean for 10 minutes. I can't work in it if it's a certain level of clutter. To make space for it, yeah. And it's almost a ritual. Right. I'm going to clean, I'm going to do these specific five things to ready the space. That makes total sense to me, yeah. And then I'll sit in it and do my thing. 
There was some comedy show I saw. I think it was called American Housewife. The male character was a writer. He was really OCD about stuff and he couldn't write until he went through this whole not that I'm saying that you're OCD and, and ridiculous like this, but he, he, you might be, I don't know. But, but he went through the whole rigmarole where he has to light certain candles, clear off every space. He has to pour a glass of wine and have something. And now that he's done that, then he can sit down and start writing. And the little scene is about how different family members kept interrupting him. So he'd have to start all over again. And by the time he was done, he was drunk because his part of his ritual is drinking a glass of wine. It does make sense, you know, that clutter really impairs their creativity. My mother's the opposite of me. I'm very much OCD neat freak. And like you, I like to have things in its place and out of the way. But my mom, she's got piles of things all over the place that she's constantly going through. And it would drive me absolutely insane. But Mm -hmm. she thrives with that. She's a painter, an artist, very visual decorator, an amazing cook. And she's always coming up with stuff. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't think straight with all of that stuff. So I can relate to your The creative process begins with no clutter. (laughs) I enjoyed that, though, getting into seeing how you approach creativity, and it may inspire some people, too. Thank you, first of all. Trace Callahan, your attitude is, you know, totally in sync with what I understand to be at the crux of professional creators, in that you're always open to learning something new, and you're not letting things like people's opinions or age or these really false limitations get in the way. We may have to struggle with it sometimes, but you're not letting it stop you. I think that's really a big takeaway for people that are interested in or that are creators themselves. You're really a wonderful example of a a creator who's inspirational to other people because you're always looking for ways to get something out there. And that is what the world needs. We need more artists like that. I'm going to go to a deeper than that and say I really like your take on being creative is not just to be creative, but to express that darkness that we all feel and to know that it's okay that you feel that. And that I think that is one of the things I really like about your art and your creativity is that you're giving people a reason to feel okay about where they are and who they are and and what they're feeling. It's all okay. Using Variety and Gumption as Creative Fuel, featuring creator Kristen Baum, an L.A.-based composer, writer, and poet. What do you think are the best and worst aspects of being a professional composer? I have a really hard time stepping away once I have gotten in. (laughs) And so... um, I don't think that's uncommon for any creative person. I don't either. Yes. So really being able to balance and really practice self-care while I am in a project is really important. I start really um, getting caught up in everything and it is a really fun thing. And it's so immersive and all encompassing once you're in that mode. It's I totally understand. It's hard to disengage from it. But that to me is it could be the best and it could be the worst aspects of being a Exactly. We will efficiently address that question. <laughs> Can you describe a typical day as a composer? That's a really hard question to answer because um, days can be really varied. Atypical, so- yeah. Yes. Yeah. They're atypical. And that really feeds the way I um, create because I like to have a lot of variety. Well, how about give us maybe two, two examples of a typical day, you know, 
a typical day in which I know I am going to work on a specific cue. I will address the things of the day and then I will drop in and start working on the cue after a sufficient amount of what well, we can call it thinking. Mm. It could appear to be procrastination. Uh-huh. It's um, not. <laughs> it, it's not because there's so much going on behind the curtain of the kind of creative working out in your mind. Right, right. I will kind of open my logic session and uh, I may watch the scene and I may watch the scene over and over and over and over again until I am and until the spark presents itself. If I have already done my thematic work uh, of knowing what what the themes are of the story, then I likely will know uh, which thematic material I want to use for any given scene. Okay. And, and of course, some of the scenes will fall outside of that as a natural part of the storytelling. Mm, that's interesting. And those, yeah. those may be the ones that are um, kind of harder to get into mm-hmm. uh, as far as like finding your way in for beginning. Um, but when I, when I am working with some scene that I know is going to have a specific thematic material, then I can really drop and go a lot more easily and know, you know, I want it to be kind of this tempo and I know I want to feature the melody at this place and this place and this place. Um, and I will start kind of constructing, um, uh, the shell of the, the shell of what I want to create. And then, uh, from there I'll go through and orchestrate, uh, on, on the computer. So just basically mocking up what I hear as happening. Okay. What about a a different type of approach for a different project? I will listen to the references that are given Mm -hmm. for any given scene, um, by the director specifically. If the director has provided references, then I will get in and I will start really actively listening to those. What are the elements that stand out to me? What is um, energizing this music? What's making me tap my toe if I'm tapping my toe to this music? What are the elements that I think uh, might uh, be things that I need to have present in my score. So it is a lot of problem solving at first. And once the problem solving has answers to it, then it is a matter of going in and starting to experiment and see, does that work? Will the pr- picture support it or will the picture kick it completely out? And I've got to start over again. Hmm. So sometimes, sometimes you get a Teflon scene. A Teflon and- scene? Yes, and everything just falls right off of it. Oh. (laughs) Nothing sticks. Nothing sticks. (laughs) What influences you creatively in a positive way and what hinders you creatively? Any interaction with the world and in the world, learning new things, exploring new things, going and getting outside of my comfort zone is incredibly instrumental in opening up new ideas. When you're getting out of your comfort zone, do you experience negative emotion? I absolutely do. In fact, the first time I went to my first poetry class, I was so outside of my comfort zone that I wanted to leave in the first 11 minutes. And instead of um, leaving or deciding to kind of emotionally shut down, what I decided instead was that I would um, write little mini poems about how I was feeling at any given moment. Perfect. 
Perfect. And so I came out with this thing that I can always look back on that says, oh, here I want to go. I just, I just want to get out quickly. And then, okay, now I'm all right, you know, 20 minutes later. And right. by the end of it, I'm like, now I want to come back and do another one of these things, wow. you know? So just really becoming a student of myself and my emotions, whether they feel like quickly run away or wow, this is the best feeling in the world. I never want it to stop. Any of those things, if I can just hold in openness, I can learn about myself about my responses and reactions, and then I can be more in charge of how I am and how I want to proceed in the world. It's a wonderful, very resonant with, with the way the greatest, you know, creative people approach things is to get out of your comfort zone. And you've just walked yourself through the process knowing as hard as it is getting in there, the outcome is much better. So stick with it basically. Yeah. And, and yeah. The, the other question was what gets in the way of your creative flow? Oh, there's a little tiny critic in everybody's head. And that critic, when it starts piping up, if we, if we listen to that critic, um, mm. he can shut us down. Right. Or she can shut us down. It's right. such an individual voice, but it's such a collective conscious voice. It is doing everything in its power. Um, Stephen Pressfield calls it resistance. And mm -hmm. that resistance, you know, pops up in every possible way. And its sole job is to get us to quit doing that thing that sounds so dangerous that the amygdala is like firing, saying, you know, wow, you could die of this. And it's like, really? I can die of creativity? <laughs> really? But how do you, if that is, if that is what hinders your creative flow, that little critic that we all have, how do you combat that? How do you transform that? Well, or sometimes do you not? <laughs> yes. I mean, sometimes, sometimes I've gotten shut down, but you know, as part of the work that you do in the Julia Cameron books, you get to know the critic. And if you can be in conversation with the critic uh, the critic becomes far less likely to be able to shut you down. The critic is just one aspect of our psyches, basically, you know, um, and if it is allowed to drive the bus, it will, <laughs> it will drive it into the, over the cliff. <laughs> it will drive it over the cliff. Yes. It will drive it to a point where you cannot function. And, um, and so basically, I mean, if we talk about two sides of a coin being fear and desire, um, to have those two become in conversation with one another is probably the most powerful thing that can teach you to keep going and to keep going despite judgment, resistance, criticism from the interior. We are far meaner to ourselves mm -hmm. than any other person on the planet mm -hmm. might be um, for some reason. And if we can just teach ourselves to be gentle or to at least notice when the critic is being extremely um, antagonistic. Right. Uh, basically, it can act as an indicator and it can say, wow, I'm farther out creatively than I have ever been before because this voice is so loud right now. Is this your your kind of conversation with yourself when you when you're faced that with that critic? Do you have this kind of conversation? I do. Mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. love that. I love I'll that. I'll stop and write things. I'll stop and work through things. I may pause. And a lot of times I will, you know, write 
myself a letter to the critic or to fear or whatever it is that I know I'm going to be walking through this kind of dark creative valley with. That's very empowering. Very good. It is. Yes. I recommend it to anyone. Yes. Yes. That's your homework if you're listening. Incredibly gifted pyrography artist Amanda Packard, also known as the Phoenix Quill. We discuss women empowerment through creativity, how Packard's personal journey became the catalyst for her feminine, free, women-based characters in her art, the emotional benefits of being in touch with the artist within, and Packard's percolating interest in aligning her art to help domestic violence victims. You can read the blog summary at the link below this podcast describe your strengths as a creator my greatest strength according to me (laughs) (laughs) well that's what i'm asking so it's okay (laughs) yeah that's right would be details Mm, Uh, the details the devil's in the details yeah it's tedious work and it's it's uh it can kind of get to you after a while first of all it's number one it's the part that i love the most it's the small intricate tedious things it's like it's it's such an outlet for me for some reason. I want to get this right. I want to do this right, you know. A little ocd I like it. <laughs> yes, yes, I think so. I'm, I'm Absolutely. Like <laughs> and But what I've found, too, is, is, you know, with the small things, as you're building the small things, before your own eyes, you're just seeing this larger image emerge. Mm. And it's just, it's a wonderful way to look at the art and watch it you know, come to life. Kind of morphs right in front of you. Oh yeah, it does. The details just really are the difference between, you know, it's, oh, it's a great piece of art or, oh, that's alive. That, that is speaking and that's what that is. And, you know, some people use color to do that. Other people, I mean, there's different ways you can Mm -hmm. achieve that. But with me, it's always been uh, detailed work. Oh, absolutely. That's Mm -hmm. very nice. I like that. I like (laughs) that. I can see that too. Just looking at your pieces, you can see that behind it. It does make Mm -hmm. it stand out. I will say that. Are there any specific things you do consistently to nurture your skills? Well, I also try to keep up with different styles, um, different genres. I like to look at different uh, subjects that people do. Like, you know, I'm I, abstract. You know, I'll I'll dive into abstract art and just look and see. You know, what are how people may come about their processes to create this or create that. And I just like to keep my mind open to Mm -hmm. as many different styles and, um, you know, subjects and genres as I, as I can, um, because I feel I'm a a bit eclectic and just kind of pull Mm -hmm. and draw from everything. You asked, you know, has being a woman had any influence? Of course, you know, if you look at some of the pieces that I've done, the subject is, a feminine figure of some sort. Mm-hmm. I yeah. want to completely just give the essence of a free woman and what that feels like mm, okay. to be a free woman, especially with, you know, one of the fairy ones I think I, I sent to you. Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. just, there's something flowing about that and yeah. something peaceful about that. Very and feminine. I, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I do love that. So it does pop up in a lot of my work. Lovely. Uh, it's just mm-hmm. it, that's so hopeful to 
I'm just going to stop there. <laughs> you said it all. <laughs> what positively influences your creativity? A clear vision, having mm. a clear vision. The reason I say that is when I really have a good vision of where I want to go with a project, mm. I get so excited and the excitement just bubbles up in me and it it just drives me to want to do my best with it and to want to move forward with it. It's not something I want to procrastinate or sit on for a while. That's nice. So yeah. when my vision is clear and I really know where I want to go with something, that excitement cannot be stopped. Talked. Right. It, it's right. just, it's wonderful. What do you do to get clear vision? You know, like I said, with when it starts with the idea, it's just rolling that around for a while. Okay. Sometimes it just comes out of nowhere and I'm like, oh, that would be a great idea. Let me, let me just get started right away. Sometimes so it you takes reflect time. on it. Yeah. But I do. Once, you know, I really get a, a good sense of where I, the direction I want to go and exactly what I want to accomplish with it. I, that honestly is when the excitement mm -hmm. kicks in and then I'm excited through the whole project. That's great. I just cannot wait. And yeah, that's a good positive influence for me. It ignites it, the process, the whole thing. Mm -hmm. What gets in the way? What hinders your creative flow? I would say just um, home drum of life. Stress is a big one. If something mm. is stressful or stressing me, worry is Worry just seems to to put a halt, screeching halt to yeah. everything creative. Right. Um, so I try to keep those at a minimum. How do you manage to keep the stresses from getting in the way of your creativity? It all comes hand in. It's it's full circle. It's it's getting out in the nature. Okay. There. Yep. You know, like us in and going out with my husband yeah. and, and he and I, he's wonderful. You know, he's like this philosopher. He thinks these really deep thoughts and we <laughs> have these wonderful, deep conversations. Wonderful. And it's, you know, things like that. It, yes. Therapeutic conversations, basically. Oh, yeah. yes. And self-care through nature and, and with your relationships. That's true that you got to take care of yourself and the people that you you know, that you care for that really takes away that stress and that or at least it cuts it in half when you when you're sharing with others. And I love that you spend time in nature because that's a huge influence on creativity for pretty much everyone. And the fact that you mm -hmm. do that pretty regularly and you mm -hmm. you almost like elevate it to this special thing on a pedestal it, that really mm -hmm. comes through your art, that it really does rejuvenate you. You can see that. Would you like to share anything else about yourself or your creations or anything related that you feel is relevant to know about your creativity or for others that are interested in creating art? There's one thing that I call um, that happens from time to time. I call it time on the shelf. Mm. And time on the shelf is when that creative flow is just not happening. It's the writer's block. It's, right. it's the, oh, it's just not coming. Oh, what am I going to do? What I've noticed with myself personally, I used to beat myself up for that mm. and be like, why aren't you doing this? You need to get some stuff done. You need to create. You need to. But what I've kind of noticed over time and through life and through, as we discussed before, being in a 10 year, mm. you know, oppressive situation. Yes. Right. Yes. What I've noticed is that is just as useful. Mm hmm. It's just so crucial to creativity 
coming back to its flow. It's like an ebb and flow. So the time on the shelf where you're just living your life and you're just going through your, your daily routines and you're getting out and you're doing different things, it doesn't seem like that's creative or has anything to do with creativity. But I have found if I just accept that, and let that be what it is. When I come back and I'm, I come, sometimes it could be a month before I make something else. It could be a week. It could be a few days. You know, it's a different amount of time. Mm-hmm. But when I come back, there's a noticeable difference mm-hmm. in my skills seem a little sharper. My vision is, is clearer. After doing that many, many times, I've kind of realized Time on the shelf is is necessary yes. to to keep that creative flow going. Yes. So it don't beat yourself up. Right. When that Thank happens. Thank you for saying that because I I, I personally have that same thing. I, I do the same. Oh, why am I not getting all this done? Why am I? And I'm exhausted or I'm overwhelmed and I'm still trying to push myself. And then I stop and I think, what? Whoa! I, I like. I'm going to mm-hmm. use this now. Time. This is time on the shelf. When we as artists get away from the art it in some way our life is absorbing anyway and you know and sometimes even the rest the the, the not thinking about anything yes is deeply uh, as you said crucial to sparking that creativity as long as you take a little bit of a break it literally refreshes all of that mm-hmm, so i'm mm-hmm. i'm 100% in agreement and, and love that the way that you explained that is is a beautiful way to see that so thank you for that i'm sure what advice would you give someone who'd like to create art begin by omitting the word mistake mm. um because what i've seen with a lot of young artists and people in general who mm-hmm. want to just start out it's they get frustrated because, oh, I keep making mistakes. I just can't do this. I'm just not cut out for this. Right. And and it's really learning, teaching yourself how to view the word mistake and, you know, it, and what it means to you. We A lot of people will take that word mistake and think failure. It is not a failure. Right. It's, you know, it is trial and er- error, you know, right. and that was something as – you know, I said I a little OCD in my artwork, you know, you want everything to be perfect. What I had to learn so I could continue doing this without frustrating myself to death is um, welcome mess ups to welcome all the mess ups. And with wood burning, you know, you mess up, you can't get an eraser out mm. and erase that thing. So you learn how to solve your own puzzles with that. Mm. Um, you learn how to take the mistake And you put your creativity to, you push it a little further and say, okay, how can I make this into something else? Mm -hmm. So, you know, first of all, accepting what you perceive to be a mistake mistake and moving forward anyway and keep going with that. And, you know, um, I, it's what I would tell if I had students, that's what I would say is, you know, I wish I had my four-year-old, five-year-old, fifth-grade you know, drawings to show you. I mean, we, we don't start out knowing this stuff. Right. We, it's practice, 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 right. trial and error and being just as, just as okay with the, with the error as you are with the trial and, you know, just accepting it all for what it is. So for someone who really just feels that desire 
to create. That's what the biggest thing I would say is just um, eliminate the word mistake mm-hmm. and, and accept it for what it is and move forward from it because you, you can learn some really important stuff from mistakes. Love so. that. Love that. Uh-huh. Yes, yes. And my mother, as an artist, has talked about that often. She She's mostly self-taught, but she'll say nothing is a mistake. It's something that you're going to make something else from. You know, mm-hmm. and, and that's in sync with what you're saying. And, you know, you, you don't look at things as mistakes. You look at them as uh, something to create something different that you hadn't yet thought of. And I like what you were saying that um, it's an opportunity to solve puzzles and mm-hmm. to take your mistakes and make something new with it. That's kind of pretty much what my mom has always said about things. And real simple example, she painted a, a landscape painting for me years ago and Somehow a spot got on it, and I was disappointed not being a painter of any sort. <laughs> I was like, it's ruined. What are we going to do? <laughs> and she said, "And she said, oh, here, give that to me. And she made like four little birds flying yeah. you know, in there. Bing, bang, done, solved. You know. <laughs> oh, I love that. I absolutely love that. That's wonderful. <laughs> I just think in, as far as the education and in, in, in our schools and things, what an important tool that is mm, huge. to say, hey, your mistake, it it forces you to think outside of the box. And right. you look at even our our the troubles in our society today, we need out of the box thinkers. Truly. So we need to just promote this and nourish this in our kids. Yes. So yeah, absolutely. That's great. That whole idea of taking failures as not a failure, but like you said, you have to learn to look at mistakes differently. Look at it as a springboard for growth. Mm -hmm. And what are you going to do now? How can you use this to propel Mm -hmm. growth and development and something creative. And I love that. And I think more people need this artistic mentality, like you said, in our society. So Mm -hmm. we'll be the ones to start. How about that? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Do you have any goals for your creative future? Just to be a continual student for the rest of my life, never stop learning. And just to continue to see my work benefit others in the way it's benefited me. And I've often thought, and this is one of those ideas that's rolling around in my mind that hasn't come into a clear vision yet, but I've often thought of using my art in a way to help domestic violence victims. Love that. And finding ways to maybe use that to help other women. It's just something I have toyed around with and I've thought about, and it could be something way, way down the road. But I I do think about that from mm-hmm. time to time and how I'd like to take it a step further and just make it, you know, since I've experienced some things, just helping other women to see that, you know, there are, are lots of ways that we can get through this and that we can solve problems. And because there are a lot of unique problems. Right. With, um, domestic violence and survivors of it mm-hmm. so and yeah I hope that you will do that because I think your art will have uh, a quite a big impact on that and really help awaken people and give them hope for those situations and I look forward to seeing what you're going to do with that I don't know how that will manifest but I can see that it clearly could very easily manifest it's very in sync with your artistic voice that your, your desire to help people and fr- with your background and having had come up out of that I think mm-hmm. it, your voice will be even more impactful in that direction. Yes, yes, absolutely. 
What is one thing <laughs> you've learned about your creative process? I learned a lot of coping skills through my creative process and keeping my mind open to ideas of, of ways to cope with situations that you cannot control. Love that. Also, as a form of escape, you know, sometimes we can't, you know, spend a few thousand dollars and take a vacation to the right. beach. So, you know what, let's just, let's get an escape in it other ways. And it's a good way to just kind of take a break from whatever may be stressing you or maybe, you know, getting to you if life's getting, getting hectic or crazy. It's good to stop and just, and that's, it's, I've used it in that way that. in my life. Yes. And, and then also, um, just instilling some, my, my, my value and, and my self-worth and, and in knowing that I do have something to offer the world, that it, it actually can help other people. And when you discover that reason for being, it just changes life changes into something else. And, and it just, uh, it's a beautiful thing. And I'm so grateful. I'm just so grateful that, you know, I've been able to experience it for what it is and, and that it has been the, the avenue, which I've learned so many lessons like that. I really have enjoyed hearing from you because your art is beautiful and very unique and your voice and the way that you just having this, you know, conversation with you really proves to me that the most successful and greatest artists are humble and grateful people and people that want to give to society. And you are definitely one of those kinds of people. I think it, and it really comes through, not just in your voice in this conversation, but also I felt that from your art, you know, I can, you can mm -hmm. feel the artist's soul, I believe through, right. through their art. Amanda Packard, thank you so much for this incredible conversation. I really enjoyed hearing your creative process and learning about your art, and I can't wait to show people all your stuff. Oh, I, I thank you, Jenny, for the opportunity, and, and I, it's just been wonderful talking to you today. Thanks for listening to Your Creative Chord Podcast. I'm Jenny Lee Hodgins. Thanks for helping spread the word so your Creative Chord podcast can continue bringing you inspiring interviews and stories. And if you loved this content, please join my mail list at yourcreativechord.com forward slash get inspired here. Thanks for listening.